Hello and welcome to the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, K-beauty expert, long-term resident of Seoul, South Korea, and your guide to the world of all things K-beauty. I am super happy to have you back with me again today. And for today's episode, what I wanted to discuss was a new trend that I have seen popping up that has its roots in Korea, and that is waterless skincare. So you might be thinking, well, hold on a minute. What is it, What exactly does that mean? Uh, and as you might have guessed, waterless skincare is water that is uh, not water that is made without water. Skincare that is made without water. That would be an interesting one. Skincare without water. Anhydrous is the other name, the sort of more technical name. And so what this is, is a category of skincare products that are basically made with different methods or in different ways that completely exclude water. Now, the interesting thing about this trend is technically this has been a thing, I guess you could say, popular in Korea for quite a few years, but it's taken on a new meaning and has sort of grown, particularly in Western countries. And in Western countries, it's being driven by slightly different concerns. The first and foremost of which is the climate crisis. So obviously there are, you know, a whole lot of issues going on with our climate, with global warming and all of the, you know, concerns around how we can reduce the earth's core temperature and all of that. And water is obviously a key part of that whole uh, debate, you know, how we use water, the lack of water, all of those kind of things. There's also some ethical concerns as well. Uh, and in particular, one I can think of off the top of my head is a concern about the over-reliance of the beauty industry on palm oil. So I wanted to just have a little bit of a chat through what this whole trend actually is, what it's about, uh, you know, some reasons why companies are going waterless, what it actually means, as well as some products that you can check out yourself that don't have water in them. So I think for most people, if you have a look at the ingredients list of most of your skincare or personal care products, chances are that you will find the words water or maybe aqua as the first ingredient. And there's a really, really good reason for that. Basically, the beauty industry has been using water for decades. It helps with application is one of the main reasons. It's also obviously good for hydration. It gives great texture. And in the case of some of our actives, the water soluble ones like vitamin C, for example, dissolving it in water means that it works better on your skin. So really, really solid sound reasons to include water in a formula. I personally don't fall into the camp of people that think that water is a waste. I know that some people say that and they say, oh, well, it just should be packed with active ingredients. And I think that's probably putting it a little bit, a, a little bit high. But waterless skincare has a lot of benefits and it takes on a lot of different forms than you might be familiar with. So for example, some of the things that I'm seeing on the market at the moment that are waterless include everything from obviously bars. So we've talked before about like the all-in-one soap bars that can be used for your hair, for your body and for your face. There are things like sticks. So stick formulations that you can easily pop in your bag and take with you. 
obviously powders, cleansing powders, uh, you know, uh, powder washes, things like that. Uh, and, you know, I think waterless skincare, probably the very early origins of it were among people going camping. So a lot of, of products that you either didn't need to use water with when you were out camping or that didn't contain water. So that's kind of the, I guess, history of where it's come from. And so a lot of these products will either eliminate the need for water or they will allow you to add the necessary amount of water at the time that you're using them. So a classic example, a powder wash. You basically apply a tiny weeny little amount of powder into your hand, then mix in the water, and then you make up the cleanser fresh every single time you use it. Uh, so that is, you know, in general, what we're talking about. Uh, obviously there are products like oils and things like that that don't have water in them naturally. So they are another, just off the top of my head, example of a waterless beauty product that I I can think of. So in 2020, 12% of global launches in the soap, bath and shower category claimed to be waterless, but they now account for 23% in the US. And apparently interest is growing in UK and Europe as well. So this is an area of the market that is pre uh, predicted to grow a lot. Uh, according to Future Market Insights, they think that the, the sale of waterless cosmetics will grow by 13.3% by 2031. So not that long away, we're talking about this becoming a much bigger category than it is now. Uh, and like I mentioned, most traditional skincare formulations do contain anywhere between 60 to 80% of water. So this is a little bit of a shift. So what are some of the benefits of waterless? Obviously, one of the ones that a lot of people are talking about, particularly the brands, is reducing their water footprint. So basically, you know, to not consume so much of the Earth's resources in the manufacturing of the products. Some of the other benefits are no water in the formula means smaller packaging made of fewer materials. And that's definitely true. Uh, they're a lot lighter, too, because they don't contain water. So uh, I've spoken about uh, uh, on the show before that, you know, one of the big considerations about what tends to get exported and taken to other markets is how heavy the products are. So that's why we don't tend to see as many shampoos and conditioners and things like that from Korea in the K-beauty space trending in other countries, just because it takes so much to actually ship them. They take up so much space and they're very heavy. Moving them around is just a lot harder. When when you remove water as one of the ingredients, obviously what's left is far more concentrated and you also need fewer preservatives as well. Uh, waterless products, just from my own experience with using powder cleansers for years, they last a very, very long time. There are fewer concerns about mold with them as well. One of the main reasons that products tend to go moldy is because of water. Uh, and you can also usually get away with using less of the product. So that is just some of the many benefits of waterless products in general. I think the other thing is if you're using extracts and oils and things like that, they can really be beneficial to penetrate your skin, to help repair damaged skin. So, you know, swapping over from uh, water to oils has some benefits for the skin as well. Uh, I think 
Though no discussion on waterless skincare would be complete without having a look at the other side of her. And this is a really big one when it comes to sustainability. So for example, when it comes to things like packaging, you will often hear people say, well, if it, uh, it needs to be made of glass because glass is uh, recyclable and we want to recycle things. So therefore glass is better and plastic is, is worse than glass. Uh, but I can tell you from personal experience that there are other problems that a lot of people don't tend to think about when it comes to glass. The first of which is that, you know, it breaks in transit a lot more easily. But even with that aside, because that obviously just leads to waste, to wasted product that doesn't end up getting used. The other problem is glass is heavier than plastic. So if you're talking about carbon emissions and things like that and looking at the entire life cycle of the product, it's not necessarily true to say that just because it's glass, it's automatically better for the environment. It's part of the discussion. It's a starting point to have a look at it. But if it's a lot heavier to move it around, then obviously it's putting much more stress and weight on, you know, for example, the truck that's carrying it around or the plane or, any, or, or things like that. And that means more carbon emissions. So in a similar way, waterless has some, I, I guess, uh, you know, other sides of it as well. The first of which is just because a product is waterless doesn't mean that its production methods are. So what do I mean by that? You actually need water to run a lot of production lines. You need it to clean your machinery. Uh, and, you know, a lot of plants and plant-based ingredients will come from crops that require watering in order to actually grow. So, you know, that's something that might not be immediately obvious when you think of waterless, but obviously if you know, the, the other ingredients in that product took a lot of water to make them in the first place, then, you know, that needs to be thought of as well. Packaging also has a water footprint and so do most shipping methods as well. Some brands are getting around this by basically investing in systems to make sure that they get a better yield with less water waste. Uh, the other thing that I would say is that uh, you know, some brands that are calling themselves waterless fall into a little bit of a gray area. And that's because a lot of them are using hydrosols or flower waters. So even though they're not necessarily water, they are produced when essential oils are distilled and that actually does require water. And the same goes for things like aloe vera extract or juice, which you might see on the products ingredients list. You know, just because it arrives in a powdered format to the lab, it needs water to make it into a liquid. So there are some kind of murky areas, I guess you could say when it comes to waterless skincare that mean that it's not as shut and dry as you might think. Uh, waterless products can sometimes also come with a higher price tag. You may have noticed that with some formulas, uh, they can be just that much more expensive to make. Uh, you know, water, it can be, ch it's cheaper. So that's why it is included in so many formulas in addition to the benefits that it offers. So I think this is a really, really interesting uh, trend. I think we will keep seeing this grow and I think it will be an area of the industry that people are going to look into a lot more. Uh, I think much with clean beauty, there is no sort of set definition or rules in terms of what can be deemed to be waterless 
surface versus containing water. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of regulation around those terms. That's just one other thing that I would say, but there are plenty of waterless K-Beauty products already in the market that you can go out and try. Uh, just some off the top of my head, I can think of uh, Tosawong Enzyme Powder Wash, obviously a powder wash that you add the water to yourself. Subi Brightening Powder Cleanser, also another one that quite a different product. They're two quite different products, even though they're both powder washes, but the same thing, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love traveling with a powder cleanser is just because no water, no squirting, no TSA regulations to worry about. You know, when you travel, you need to remove all your liquids. If you've got a powder cleanser with you, you don't. So that is just a really handy hack. That's always the way that I travel uh, with a powder cleanser. It just takes all the stress out of it. You don't have to worry about your bag being ruined by the time you get there. Uh, obviously, like I mentioned, oils are naturally waterless, or at least most of them are. Uh, Hanyul's Uja Face Oil does not have any water in it. That is a really beautiful product for brightening the skin. Itzentree Rosehip Watery Beauty Oil, even though water is in the name, it's not in the ingredients list. So that's another one to look out for. Uh, Mary and May's Niacinamide and Kinamalese Sinensis Serum, that has zero water in it as well. And that is because they using such a high concentration of kinamalese in the serum itself. Another product along similar lines that is just really rich and thick in texture is Skin Foods Royal Honey Propolis Enrich Essence. That product doesn't contain water either and that's because they have literally shoved so much honey, propolis, uh, royal jelly and things like that into it. I just don't think they ended up needing water. So that's another one. Iunique, their Calendula Complete Cleansing Oil, that is water free as well. And then of course there is a subset of products that are dry skincare products. So things like pimple patches uh, that naturally don't have water in them either. Uh, and that means that they're shelf life is much uh, increased, particularly if they don't contain active ingredients. Uh, so something like Subi Perfect Pimple Patch. Obviously, there are some products that do contain ingredients in them. Uh, might be a little bit different for them if they have things like say salicylic acid or niacinamide or whatnot. Uh, but the dry products that don't contain ingredients have a really, really great shelf life as well. Uh, and I think shelf life is the other thing that maybe gets overlooked when we are talking about sustainability concerns, because if the product has a really short shelf life, the chances that it will go off before it even gets to be used are just that much higher. The longer the shelf life, the more stable the product is. It just gives it that much more time to circulate around, to get sold, to get used, and there's a lot less wastage. Uh, so that's another thing to think about as well. Uh, you know, and I think that comes into it particularly when people are talking about clean beauty and you know all natural and things like that. Those all natural products that contain no preservatives are a nightmare to distribute uh, and to sell, particularly if you're talking about in traditional supply chains. It's one thing if you're selling them at a marketplace, right? You make the product, you take it to market, you make it fresh, you sell it on a Sunday, that person's using it by the next day. But that's not how most skincare enters the market. It enters the market, you know, for example, in the case of K-Beauty here in Korea, by the time we get that product on a boat and it ships 
out to the States or ships to Australia and is then on a truck inbound for a little while. We're talking a process of months, months during which for the most part, those products cannot be sold. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to then sell products like that that don't have preservatives in them because they'll rot on the way there. Uh, vitamin C serum is another thing that, you know, people have been trying to tackle that uh, conundrum, that issue, that problem for years. How can we make sure that the vitamin C remains stable, remains in, uh, you know, usable order by the time it gets to you? You know, the longer that process is drawn out, the more the chances are that your vitamin C serum is already going to have oxidized by the time it gets to you. So there are lots of different product, I guess, concerns like that, that being waterless can overcome. So that's just another, I guess, area of the industry that I think is an exciting one. It's one to watch. I'm keen to see how, uh, you know, brands are going to be incorporating this uh, and how this sort of really takes off. But I just thought that was a really interesting one that definitely does have its origins in Korea, but maybe not for the reason that it's being picked up in other countries. Korea, in terms of the sustainability angle, is definitely improving a lot. Uh, but, you know, sustainability concerns are being dealt with very differently in different markets. That's one thing that I've noticed from working in the industry uh, and particularly from exporting to different countries. Every country has a different emphasis and focus and also capabilities when it comes to things like recycling. And that sort of plays a big part in then the kinds of products that enter the market uh, and, you know, what people are interested in buying in that market as well. You know, if, if the country has a much more robust recycling system, then people are less concerned about, you know, uh, buying certain products because they know that they can be recycled. If you live somewhere that has a really abysmal recycling system and you know it's going to end up in landfill, no matter what you do with it, then that obviously factors into your purchasing decision a little bit differently. So lots of, I guess, uh, issues, uh, themes and topics that the industry will be trying to deal with. Uh, I'm very happy to say that a lot is being done in this space. There is a lot going on in the Korean beauty market domestically. I'm seeing more and more attention being paid to this. Uh, so that is just uh, an area that I myself will be keeping a little bit of an eye on and obviously would be happy to share updates with you guys when uh, you know more things come into my line of vision. But that was one thing that I just wanted to have a chat through today just because it's a little bit different. Uh, I hope it was interesting. If it was, I would love for you to share this episode either to your social media, maybe share it with a friend. Uh, and of course, in the meantime, until next week, I will see you on Style Story. 